Hello everyone and welcome to Celebrating Cinema. We're delighted to have Mia Hanson-Love with her film Ambo Matan. Where is the key? The key is in the serrure. You la laisses toujours sur la porte. Mais où est la porte? La porte, elle est en face de toi et la clé, elle est dans la serrure. Mia, welcome. Thank you. It's a bit of a full circle moment for us here on the podcast because our first episode we explored why should we celebrate cinema and at the time your anticipated film Bergman Island was still to be released. We were very excited speaking about that film and it kept getting delayed, but we felt that was a film that really sort of, we hoped at the time, obviously, because we hadn't seen it, but that it would encapture what it is to love cinema and why we should celebrate cinema. And I, of course, you do that very well with this idea of looking at storytelling and all these wonderful directors in such a tender way. Thank you. <laughs> it's nice to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But of course, we're here to speak about another tender film of yours on Beau Matin. Perhaps you could give our listeners sort of a short synopsis. Well, about the synopsis, I'm not really good at that. I'm also very bad at pitching my own films, actually. <laughs> but let's say, let's say to me, um, all of my films are some kinds of portraits. And this one is also a portrait. Uh, in this case, it's a portrait of a woman. Maybe she's around 35 and she's dealing with the disease of her father who has a neurodegenerative disease yeah. for a while and she becomes uh, more and more aware that he won't be able to stay in his apartment and that he will soon very soon need to you know go to a hospital or a nursing home and that's a big part of what what the film is about is how you deal with that and and the strange kind of grief that it means to be uh, you know watching someone you love disappear but not dying just mentally and physically yeah. disappear but at the same time it's also a film about a rebirth i would say uh, somebody rediscovering her own sensuality uh, and the new happiness possible at the same time and how these two very opposite movements can cohabit in a way and the notion of love is definitely a key topic of this film and something we'll touch upon. But uh, you also spoke about how you like to make portraits in your films or your films are often portraits. And I think it relates to this idea that your films are often very personal, but yet you still manage to explore these very existential questions at the same time, which I think is quite a skill to balance. And I wondered how aware of you during the process of making the film that while this is very introspective in certain ways, it's still also focusing on very universal existential questions. Well, you know, I think there are different ways of, of dealing with universality. I think some directors, some scriptwriters would think that in order to achieve, like to reach some kind of universality, you should not be too personal and you should work with stories that are totally fictional and really look for the universality in every single decision you make and how you tell the stories and make it more, you know, generic in a way. And I'm like the opposite. I, I do think that you can reach universality without trying to reach it all the time. You know, that mm. I always had this conviction, this belief that the more personal you are, the more sincere, the more deep, in yourself you go the more universal you can get also and at the end I, do, I honestly I just don't know I just always hope my films will be there is no other way for me than trying to make 
fictions with my experience of life. And every time I tried to uh, write stories that were less uh, connected with some experiences I have made, it always felt less sincere to me or less authentic. I need to know what I'm talking about. And it doesn't mean that all my films are some kind of autobiographical mm. self-portraits because I've made almost half of my films were focusing on characters who were like men, you know? So they were not like alter egos, actually, but I feel as much empathy at the end. Mm. But it's just that I think, yes, I'm trying to make each of my film as personal than the previous one. But in the case of that one, it's probably the one that has been the most frontally, let's say the closest that I've made to uh, some kind of autobiography, yes. <laughs> That's interesting you mentioned the word autobiography because also Sandra's father sort of has this wish to write an autobiography, which is where the title of the film comes. It leads to this nice comparison of the two that he wanted to write about something that will destroy him and you're equally writing about something not necessarily that can destroy you, i.e. love, but this idea of both death and rebirth encapsulated in love. And I wondered if you could just explain a bit more about that sort of mirroring, basically, Sandra's father. Well, it's interesting that you're mentioning that he wanted to also write an autobiography because it's something that he said very late in the film, actually, just one, uh, it's a one shot moment where Sandra mentions it at Christmas, the fact that he always wanted to write an autobiography. And actually, I think it reveals something that's quite crucial about my own relationship to why I make films and why I write stories. I've always thought and I don't know if I'm right, but I've always thought that my father, who was a philosophy teacher, mm. should have been, a, or could have been, there was something about him that he could have made him a writer. And because of his life and some drama happening in his family and the fact that he had to become an adult and financially, economically take care of yeah. his own family for many, I mean, reasons that have to do with his own personal story, he couldn't achieve that. He was haunted both by his own I mean, past and the, the past of his family in a way that it transmitted to me, I think. But also it was, I think he was haunted by, by this frustration of not being able to become a writer when he was writing so beautifully. I mean, he really had like an incredible gift. He had such a beautiful uh, language. And I think uh, that's the story I told myself in a way that I became a director in order to accomplish what my father was not able to accomplish. And I think that didn't have the chance, I, that I maybe I would have the chance to express feelings and, and stories. And I mean, even if it's at the end, they look like they are more like my stories than his, but still they connect with a certain melancholy that I inherited from him. And I think they are my own way of telling stories that actually connects with him a lot. I think I have this deep, deep, really spiritual connection with my father. And in a way, that title, One Fine Morning, Un Beau Matin, and I'm Schönen Morgen in German, one of the, its meanings to me is that because she says in the film at some point that it would maybe have been the name of the book that her father would have written, but he wasn't able to write it. And by saying this, it's a way of saying, just what I told you, that I feel like the same about me, that for me, making films is, is a way to be the artist that my father could not be. That's a really lovely answer. This idea, again, of objects as subtle cues for this, this idea that what we love can then still affect who we love in the sense that, so Sandra's father, his books, 
still sort of lives on or evokes these same memories for Sandra when she's exploring them and then of course his students and I think in the same way I like to look at film in a similar light that film is this object that even after people pass on it's still something that helps us remember people and I wondered again sort of what were you thinking about when using these kind of object ideas as cues for memories well, I totally agree with what you just said. I mean, this connection that you just made between the books and the films, actually, I, I feel the same about the, the films as being a way to, to make the, the presences of the people we love last longer. Mm. I wouldn't say we can make them eternal. It would sound too pretentious, of course. <laughs> but at least it's a way to try. One of the reasons why I make films is, is like, it's this illusion that I have when I make films that, I will capture the presence of people, not let these presences be destroyed by the time, let not them vanish, you know, time takes everything, takes everything away. I guess I grew up and that's also something I irritated from my parents in various ways, but like with this obsession of memory, I feel like I'm always worried that I'm, I will lose memory, that everything will vanish. And, and in a way, making films for me it is, is a way of marking you know, the time. Oh, uh, when I did that film, that was right after the producer of my first feature died. And after that happened, I made that film about him, you know. Or when I made uh, this film, that's when um, <laughs> I was uh, having my second child, you know. In a way, uh, my films are deeply connected to my life, but in a way that it also helps me understand better the person who I am and, and uh, the, the way time passes. And, and it helps me believe in the fact that the time will not actually destroy everything everything so in the same way I, I have this belief about films I do have with some other objects depending what they mean for the characters in my film but yes you're right the books have the same uh, function in the film they are material things but they're more than that they are actually our connection to the spiritual things you know and they are our connection with the in invisible what is a book actually it's something that somebody wrote it's the words of somebody expressing himself or herself you know and and there is the the author of these books were human beings and they are also the people who read them and wanted to read them and why it affected them so much and it tells also about who were this person and when you look at uh, Georgs the, the father's uh, library in the film it tells you about what kind of person he was the fact for instance that most of the books are German books Mm. Uh, of course, uh, you don't have to know that to understand the film, but uh, I put all the real books of my father there, oh, wow. not only for affective sentimental reasons, but also because uh, most of these books were in German and they actually don't look the same like French books would. You mm. know, the German uh, editions, they have a different color, different yeah. texture, they have a different look, basically. And so it gives a different atmosphere to these libraries. And I wanted to be faithful to that because I, I really believe in the fact that in these details, there is uh, the soul of a film that ultimately um, uh, defines itself. Yeah, again, a really nice answer. The film itself is, I think, is now starting to become a part of a number of other films that are dealing with this topic of an aging population. So for mm -hmm. instance, you have The Father and then there's this Dutch film that's come out recently called Pink Moon. And I find it interesting that more directors are wanting to explore this because it's an issue that's going to affect us all in some way. And I wondered what you think film's role is in reflecting such an issue. Yes, well, actually, uh, I was the first one to be surprised that I would make a film 
dealing with like aging and, and diseased person. And uh, I also, it's, it's him, but I also filmed the nursing homes. I filmed, you know, the grandmother, uh, I mean, who was actually my grandmother, who is like, she's a oh, hundred. Wow. Yeah, she was a hundred year, exactly a hundred year in the film. So I've never filmed as many like scenes involving, you know, being old yeah. and, and what it means and how you live and, and actually, I never thought I would. I never thought I would attracted to this kind of topics. Uh, of course, I, I was aware of the importance of, of that today and, and about the, the, the fact that uh, we are uh, in societies where the population is aging and that it's a huge social problem. What mm. should we do with these people? How can we take care of them properly, you know, and not just then put them away and let them die in like depressing places, you know, where yeah. everybody suffers from from the patients to the, the doctors to the, you know, the n nurses. I mean, of course I was aware of that, but I, I don't think I could make a film about something only because it's a topic that makes sense or that, or because it's political or, you know, with, for theoretical reasons, I think why I ended up writing that film is because it happened to me. I mean, it's because yeah. uh, I made that experience. So everything that was theoretical suddenly became really incarnated and true. Mm. And I lived every single of these moments. And so I developed this intimate relationship with that subject, you know. Yeah. And that's the only reason why I could make a film with it. And of course, cinema reflects uh, the society uh, and, and all its, pro its problems. And there is a huge amount of them and and, it's, and the cinema should uh, reflect the world as it is and I'm, I've always tried to do that but on the other hand I think we should be careful in um, putting too many functions in the cinema because now it feels like more and more that we expect the cinema to be uh, uh, like the sociology you know telling us uh, criticize, criticizing the society and telling us all about these problems but I think it's great if the cinema does it but I don't think we should look at it as it's as if it was the purpose of why yeah. the cinema exists. Because if we do that too much, ultimately, uh, that could also kill uh, the independent cinema. The fact that uh, sometimes I have the feeling the only reason why films uh, could exist is only because it is, uh, you know, telling about some social issues. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think this leads me to my next question, where I think I read in an old interview of yours, you said how, I think it was in 2016, filmmaking is a perpetual questioning of existence. And I'm sure that idea or philosophy comes from your very heavy philosophical upbringing from the fact that both your parents were professors in philosophy. But I wondered whether this feeling has evolved basically since 2016, if you'd still take the same relationship to that statement or would revise it in some way. I wouldn't. <laughs> Honestly, I was worried when you were saying that I I, uh, I said something in 2016. <laughs> I got worried that it would be something that I wouldn't agree with anymore because, of course, that could happen. Yeah. Uh, but actually, I mean, when it's about why I make films and why I've been making films from the beginning, I, I yes, I, I have to be honest here and say that I, I think I've been deeply influenced uh, in my way of dealing with films and art in general. I've been deeply influenced by my education and having the luck of being brought up by parents who thought that why we live is to try to understand better what life is about, you know, and that yeah. life was a constant questioning. And so I think I'm faithful to that in the sense that I am not making films that give answers, basically. Yeah. I, I make films that try to 
ask relevant questions, and I think most of them, many of them are existential questions. I think a lot of films teach you how you should think, how you should react to everything, how the characters should be. Uh, my characters are maybe more fragile or more complex, or they don't just go from A to B, like we're told mm. to tell stories, you know. But I, I've been sticking to that, I think, from the beginning, that why I make films is really to try to be a wiser person. And I don't think that I achieved that in, in any way, but, but in a way it's good because, you know, you're, all, you're always trying to reach something. Uh, each film is, is another quest for something and you, you can't really find what you're looking for. And that's why you're making another film, you know, and you go further and further and you move on that way. Otherwise, if I would really find the answers that I, I've been asking in my films, I guess I, I wouldn't need, you know, to make another film. I think just from speaking with you, it's quite clear you are a cinephile. I mean, your film Bergman Island also for me is quite an open love letter to cinema itself, of course, still while contemplating a lot of questions. But perhaps you can also share some of your, your favorite moments in cinema, sort of what has left its touch on you. I mean, for me, watching your films, again, there's sort of flavors of Eric Romar and in the sense of his portraits. But yeah, perhaps just tell us what are, what are some moments you remember. Well, you, you seem to know my work, so I'm sure you, you know a bit about that. But yes, Romer is certainly one of the directors who has influenced me the most because of his philosophy of making films, how he would, you know, think them and the kind of rules that he would give to himself in that are rules that have to do with an aesthetic. But aesthetic is always also about an ethic, you know. So I um I think I kind of follow the same rules, although I, I try to not imitate any of the directors who I admire. I try to find my own language, but there are some principles, I would say, that I still believe in. And I think many of them, um, and they have to do with the respect of the audience, of their intelligence, you know, that has mm. to do with freedom of expression, that has to do with the quest for a certain clarity both in style but uh, and in spirits, you know. I've always been looking for clarity. That's maybe also uh, the bad influence of my father, who was probably obsessed with that as a teacher. But I, I do believe in um, transparency of style. You know, that many of the words that we could use regarding uh, Eric Romer's work are important words for me. But then it's not only Romer, it's Truffaut as much, actually. Uh, Bergman, I, I won't surprise you if I tell you that Fanny and Alexander is a film, for instance, that I that I could see again and again. But then some other directors too. I mean, like many of them, actually, I feel I haven't seen enough films in the past three years. I, I, I haven't been able to do much except for my own uh, films. But like the films of Nanny Moretti, for instance, are films that I often... Uh, especially the films that he would do in the 70s and his were films that I really loved. The films of Visconti, I could watch them again and again forever, although my films are very far away. I don't do uh, historical period films. I don't do them with the kind of scale that he would do, but still there is something about uh, the elegance and the depth and the classicism. That's, I, I mean, that's a modernity of Visconti that looks yeah. like classicism because it doesn't show its modernity, but actually is modernity. That's something that I find extremely uh, inspiring. So yes, I could, <laughs> I could go on and on for hours, I guess. I'm sure we all could. Another question I have is, again, sort of your life or career has revolved around film. Before you were a director, you were, of course, an actor. 
but some may not know that you were also a film critic back in the day, also writing about film. And I wondered if you always knew you wanted to transition into becoming a director and also how these different roles within film help inform your ability to direct now. Well, it's a little bit of a myth uh, that I was an actress. I mean, I've been said that <laughs> many times, but actually I feel always embarrassed about that because I was only in two films and they were small parts. I mean, compared to the eight films that I've been shooting since yeah. and writing, it's, it feels a little bit ridiculous that I <laughs> pretend that I'm like some kind of actress who turned to a director. I was 16 when I played one in one yeah. and like I was 19 when I played in the other. But I'm not trying to pretend that they were not important uh, for me because that's how I uh, made the experience of a set, you know, for the first time. And that was a life-changing, you know, uh, experience. So it, it was a very um, important, influential moment for me. But I, I was not an actress in a professional definition of it. You know, I was yeah. more, more than amateur. And then I wasn't in any film anymore. And, and that was it. So uh, but about the film critic experience, well, it's not something that I would neither uh, be uh, bragging about. I also feel quite embarrassed when that comes up again. Really? Uh, yeah, well, because it was very short. I struggled. It was so difficult. I always felt more at ease making my films. It, it felt always more like me, much more natural in a way. I wanted to do that. Yes, when I wanted to do that, it's because I wanted to make films. It was because of Romer, Truffaut, and all the other guys who had been writing in Cahiers du Cinéma. And I thought, it's good, it's important, because I have not been in any film school. It's important that I learn how to write on films, that I, I just don't let myself overwhelmed by emotions, but that I learn how to think, you know, and, and thinking really starts when you write. That's how I feel about it. Like when you at least are capable to put words on your feelings and too many people, you know, when they speak about film, it's like, I like, I don't like, I loved it. You know, I was moved, I cried. You know, I wanted to go further than that and be able to understand better all the subtleties of, subtleties of, of a film and why exactly some films, you know, appeal to me, like why I would react uh, very uh, negatively towards some some films and and why I would uh, embrace some other and and that in that sense that was extremely precious as an experience but I mean in terms of what I wrote I would really more like try to make that disappear you know than uh, <laughs> than make everybody instead of making people remember of it. <laughs> My final question: What would be the title of your autobiography? Ah, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> I think one un beau matin, if it wasn't already uh, used in my film, maybe I could have kept it for my own autobiography. But, you know, I'm not that old, you know, that I would think of the title of my yeah. autobiography. Maybe uh, ask me this, if I still live in uh, 40 years, may maybe you ask me this uh, again then, okay? <laughs> well, thank you very much, Mia. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking yeah. to you too. Just for all our listeners, you can go watch Un beau matin from the 27th of October it will be released here in the Netherlands thank you very much for listening and until next time